Is today your birthday, Trey? I don't. Why does that? BK, is that you that's doing that? That happens every freaking day. Every day that happens. And I have no idea why. Dude. Hey, it's become a bit now. It's become a bit now. Oh. Hey, you guys kill it today. I appreciate y'all. All right. You too, man. Yeah, I, I really have no idea why that keeps happening, but I am glad that it does keep happening. It's at the start of our show and it's at the end of our show every day as Harge apparently wants to come back and talk a little bit more. <laughs> now, he, now he's gone. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with the balloons. You sure that's not you doing that over there? I'm not doing anything. I am not. I guess I like balloons okay. But uh, no, that is not me. Oh, man. Well, welcome in to a Monday edition of Trey and BK. We are with you until 1 o'clock. Of course, Trey will be with Jeff Barker of CBS Austin from 1 to 3. And then Chip and Zay come your way this afternoon from 3 to 5. So still five hours of live local conversation coming your way right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. We appreciate y'all stopping by. Please like this video if you haven't yet. Please subscribe to this channel if you haven't yet. And please share. Spread the word so we can continue to grow Texas Sports Unfiltered. What you got? Did we just start doing the show live on Facebook as well? Because I just noticed the likes in the corner of our StreamYard broadcast. So I went to Facebook and liked the live stream on Facebook too. Yeah, we did. I think uh, late last week I added the Facebook functionality to our live broadcast. So make sure you like our Facebook page. If you want to find us over there, you can do that. Uh, the Facebook comments also pop up in the YouTube chat line as well. So you will still nice. have your voice heard if you uh, do check us out on the Facebook. But obviously, yeah, we are on YouTube and, of course, on the free Texas Sports Unfiltered app as well. We want to make this as easy as possible. We want to give you all as many different ways as possible to consume our content. Plenty of football today. We will talk a little bit of baseball as the Rangers are a win away from the ALCS. They got the job done yesterday. The Astros could not take care of their business, so that series is tied heading up to Minnesota for Game 3 tomorrow. Well, But, of course, we got to open up with Texas and Oklahoma. The Longhorns coming up short in the Red River shootout, 34-30, to the final score. Of course, everybody knows that Oklahoma, the game-winning touchdown with just 15 seconds to play, and they break the hearts of Longhorn fans everywhere as Texas just didn't have enough. Three turnovers, a bunch of penalties, missed opportunities galore, and they gave Oklahoma a chance. And Oklahoma, give them credit, they made the plays to get the job done as the Longhorns suffer their first loss of the season. Unfortunately, it started early for this Texas football team, BK, just playing uncharacteristically bad far too often throughout the game. It started with a really poor double bump and throw by Quinn Ewers to a receiver who not only wasn't open, he was covered up pretty well. And that turns into an interception, gives that Oklahoma offense a short field to score the first points and the first touchdown of the game. And well, Texas was able to get themselves back into it and take leads at times. Those moments were fleeting and the Longhorns had opportunities to take control of the game, especially on offense. But once again, we see this team's inability to score touchdowns when they get in the red zone. And by the way, it was worse than that this time because they were leaving those red zone possessions without points at times, including that first and goal from the one or two that ended up pretty fruitless on a really pathetic series of play calls. I didn't have an issue with the fourth down play call. What they did those first three downs, if you don't succeed on first down, you need to try something a little bit different there. And unfortunately, a uh, 
a toss sweep was not the answer necessarily. Credit to Oklahoma. They played a more complete game. They were better on both sides of the ball. And this Longhorn defense, which I have spoken very confidently about, is the biggest reason why I believe that this team can accomplish great things this year, had no answers for what Dylan Gabriel was doing both through the air and then also on the ground, too. Yeah, it was rough all around for Texas. It's kind of a miracle this game was as close as it was, considering just how many missed opportunities Texas had and how many times Texas shot itself in the foot throughout that game on Saturday. But, yeah, they just didn't have enough, and and the red zone offense continues to be a huge, huge issue. It's the dead zone for Texas this year. It's where drives go to die. I mean, Texas had nearly 550 total yards of offense against a top-10 statistical defense in the country. If you would have told me Texas was going to go for 550 yards against OU, I would have said, oh, that's a two- or three-touchdown win for sure. But because they struggled in the red zone, and it's funny, like, We've been complaining about field goals in the red zone, Trey. If Texas just kicked three field goals on its three red zone drives, the Longhorns win. But they had the interception on the second drive of the game in the red zone. And then, of course, the play, the series of plays that you mentioned where they had first and goal from the one-yard line and couldn't punch it in. Three points on three red zone trips. Meanwhile, Oklahoma was six for six in the red zone. Four touchdowns and two field goals. That's the difference, right? Both teams were able to move the ball, but OU was able to cash in on its opportunities, and Texas just couldn't do it. And honestly, you got four chances to score from one yard out. You can't do that. Do you really deserve to win? I mean, are you kidding me? Like, that is that is awful. And you're right. The play calling was abysmal. They basically ran the same play. I know one of them was a toss instead of a handoff, but they basically ran the same play with defensive players on the field three times in a row. And... They came up short, finally switched it up on fourth down, and I thought that play call was a little bit questionable too, going to Xavier Worthy, the smallest guy on the field, and asking him to run over somebody for a yard. It was uh, was a bad sequence for Texas and uh, a huge missed opportunity for them. Yeah, somebody on the uh, the comments line is saying that wor- that Worthy was open on a slant on that first interception. Is that who the ball was going to? Or was the ball going to... The ball was going to the Oklahoma defender. That yeah, first interception I, I was a joke, dude. Like, Quinn Ewers just stared into space. There were three Oklahoma players there and one Texas player there. And he just said, ah, screw it. We'll see what happens. And sure enough... I don't know if, I don't know if the commenter is saying that, that Worthy was, was the guy that the ball was thrown to and it was an open play and the OU defender made a nice play. Because if that's the case, that's incorrect. Maybe Worthy was open someplace else. Uh, on the field, but that was not an open throw. Quinn Ewers did not need to make that pass. You could see it from the upper deck where I was sitting that that was about to be an interception. It would have taken that Oklahoma defender dropping the ball for it not to be an INT because he made a nice break on it, and he had positioning there, too. That was just a bad throw. Quinn Ewers would tell you that that was a bad throw, too. And, you know, the second interception was probably more on Jatavian Sanders and Oklahoma just making a nice play, a nice hit on that ball, and then going tip drill. But then it's kind of on yours that that third turnover that he had as well, where he takes a hard shot. I get it that he's trying to get to the sticks, but he also has to understand that he can't put his body on the line like that for a couple of different reasons. One, we need him to stay upright and healthy for this team to uh, to really have a chance to win a conference championship and maybe uh, back their way into the college football playoff. 
But uh, there, there's serious turnover potential right there. And unfortunately, that happened. And while yours has played well, but also had a little bit of luck with regards to turnovers, that completely flipped in the game on Saturday, unfortunately. Yeah, it was a weird day for yours, right? I mean, he got off to a horrible start. A lot of guys got off to a horrible start. Uh, but then yours was red hot in the second half. I know the fumble occurred in the second half, but God, he was 24 of his last 25 going into that last Hail Mary drive that Texas had. Like, he had found his rhythm, and obviously the Texas offense, you know, they were down 27-17. to They had scored 13 unanswered to kind of find their rhythm as well, except for at the goal line. Uh, But, yeah, three turnovers. I mean, you lose lose three. It's not that you just give the ball away three times. It's the fact that you couldn't take it away once, right? You're minus three in the turnover battle against a good team, and Oklahoma's clearly a good team. Uh, you're going to lose way more often than not. And sure enough, uh, Texas lost. They just gave Oklahoma too many chances. And you let a good team like that stick around, they're going to make some plays and, and beat you. And that's what happened. So uh, let's hear from Sark because we brought it up and every Texas fan has talked about it. I mean, to me, there are a couple of sequences of plays that really cost Texas. You could obviously look at everything. You could look at the two interceptions that you were through. You could look at the fumble. Hell, we just talked about it. You could look at those three turnovers you could talk about the penalties there are plenty of things that just didn't go texas's way on saturday but for me the the two most questionable play calling sequences were first and goal from the one and then the decision on third and nine on the burt auburn field goal drive to run and basically play for the field goal so we'll start with sark talking about the play calling from first and goal from the one, Texas down by seven early in the first quarter. They're one yard out. They got a chance to tie the game with a touchdown. Here's Sark talking about the goal line failure in that spot. You know, it's we take a lot of pride in our goal line package. It's been very effective for us uh, over the years, and we wanted to we wanted to do what we do, you know, and execute the plan that we had. And we thought we had a good plan. I think the first down play uh, looked like the linebacker kind of shot the gap. Why we didn't block him, it's hard to tell. Uh, the second down play, the, the play kind of got strung out a little bit. Um, the third down play looked like internal, you know, kind of just penetration again. And then on fourth down, we went to a play that we felt really good about. Uh, bang, bang, right? We, we don't score by about four inches, you know. So it was a tough play for, for Xavier and, you know, trying to trying to get, get in right there. So, um we got to reevaluate. And that's why I said at the very beginning, we need to coach better and we need to play better. It was stubborn and stupid for Steve Sarkeesian there. I mean, I, like, I have no problem with putting Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat in for one, maybe two plays in that spot. But you can't. But first down. First down, you do that. But then when it gets blown up like that, you try yeah. something different. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with doing it on second down. Like, it was wrong. It didn't work. So I'm not going to argue too much against you. But if you want to try it twice and it doesn't work, then okay. Uh, it's an offensive play, so maybe we bring in the offensive players for third and fourth down. But yeah, three times in a row. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. That's just being stubborn. That, I, I said it this morning with Bucky. It was a demeasuring contest for Steve Sarkeesian there. He was trying to show Brent Venables that his was bigger and that he could keep calling this play. And, oh, that's cool. You stopped it on first and second, but mine's bigger than yours, and we're going to score run in the same play. It was stubborn. It was stupid. Instead of doing what he should have done and, you know, call the play that would have worked, he just decided he wanted to stick with it. And then on fourth down, once again, I mean, I'm glad he switched it up, but I wouldn't have thrown that pass to Xavier Worthy. Maybe you do that on third down. Maybe you throw it to somebody else. I don't know. It's just it, it's an embarrassing sequence of plays right there. And once again, you can't punch it in from a yard out against your biggest rival in that spot. Like, do you even deserve to win? Come on. 
I understand trying to assert your will against a team that's lesser competition because when did they run that set for the first time? Was it against either Baylor or Wyoming maybe? Yeah, I think Murphy had the touchdown against Wyoming, the receiving touchdown. Okay, so you ran it against Wyoming, and they're a physical football team, but it's also just Wyoming. OU has the bodies up front to make fools of guys who are earning their cheddar on the other side of the ball. And yeah, try it once, maybe twice if you want to. But when it doesn't work the first two times, spread it out. Get those weapons back out on the field that Quinn Ewers was so good at getting the football to throughout the afternoon versus going jumbo once again. Like they obviously they go back to the wide receiver set on fourth down. It was a good play call too, by the way. It was just a great defensive play by Oklahoma. But why not try if you really want to run it three straight times, why not run it that third time where you're forcing defensive backs to split out a little bit wider and you're not allowing 10 out of 11 Oklahoma players to be right there at the line of scrimmage looking to shoot gaps to stop Jonathan Brooks when he gets the ball. I don't have an answer to that. I mean, everybody in the stadium, everybody watching on TV knew what the play call was going to be when 93 and 90 were in the game. I mean, it was obvious that they were going to be runs and uh, OU stacked the box. They had everybody in there and it's kind of a microcosm of the whole game, right? OU was the more physical team. That's where they deserve a bunch of credit. I didn't see that coming. I don't know how many OU fans saw that coming. Like, we were told, and if you watch these two teams play through five weeks, that, yeah, OU was better, or excuse me, Texas was better on the offensive line, and Texas was better on the defensive line, and the Longhorns should have been able to assert their dominance up front. Well, the opposite happened. OU's offensive line did a great job. I mean, Texas's D-line was a non-factor, and then OU's D-line... Like it didn't help Texas that Jake Majors got hurt on the second drive of the game, right? There was a clear drop-off in, in center yeah. production and just offensive line play in general. But still, we've talked about the depth of this Texas team all year long being a strength, and injuries happen. That's how football works. Uh, they, just, they didn't get it done on the offensive line. Yours, yours was sacked five times, and obviously that uh, goal-to-go sequence from the one, the fact that they couldn't get a push to pick up that one yard, those three feet against Oklahoma on four plays, that, that tells you everything you need to know right there. Look, there is a cheat code right now in football that makes that play a no-brainer. Do the, the I don't know what they call it, the, the brotherly shove or whatever they're calling it in Philadelphia. That is what needs to be done. And I get it. If you're worried about Quinn Ewers getting hurt on that play, one, I think that's being a little bit sensitive about things. I think that's not... Uh, I think that's not trusting Quinn Ewers to do something that is not as injury adverse as some people are making it seem like. But if that is a concern, how about bringing Malik Murphy in the game to do that or Savion Red or somebody else? Because that is as automatic a short yardage play as exists in football right now. It's going to be illegal starting next year, but take advantage of that play right now while you can. Uh, Unfortunately, it's it's not in Steve Sarkeesian's arsenal right now. Maybe it'll be after the bye week. It might be illegal in the NFL next year, but it'll take the NCAA 15 years to do something about that. You know how that works. That's true, and it'll it'll still be legal for the the Blue Bloods while everybody else (laughs) will be illegal for. Yeah, SMU can't do it. They'll get the death penalty if they try that. Um, yeah, I mean, how about a QB sneak? Even that, like, even if you don't do the brotherly shove stuff, just do something like that. Or the red cat. Like, I, I yeah. always preach the QB sneak. It's the most successful short yardage play in football. So even with yours, I think it would work. But especially with Malik Murphy, who's like 6'6", 240, ain't nobody keeping that dude out from a yard away. Give me a break. Right. 
But how about the red cat? Like, that was really effective. That's been effective all year long. It feels like Texas has picked up a first down every time they've used that in short-yarded spots, and we didn't see it. Like, it was just, oh, it was, oh, my God, just pathetic, dude. Pathetic, pathetic, pathetic that Texas couldn't punch it in there. And, yeah, the red zone woes continue to be a problem. When you talk about not trusting Quinn Ewers, that brings us to the other, or at least my other, most questionable decision from Steve Sarkeesian on Saturday. The second-to-last offensive drive of the game, the drive that ended in the Burt Auburn go-ahead field goal, which, shout-out to Burt Auburn, by the way. He did his job on Saturday, three for three, hit that field goal. Although, unfortunately for Burt Auburn, and I think Texas fans need to know, if that guy kicks a field goal and it gives Texas the lead, they're not going to win the game. Because Alabama last year, Texas Tech last year, Oklahoma this year, like, he makes the field goal and people start celebrating, but the team on the field just doesn't do what it needs to do to make sure that kick stays as the game winner. But whatever. That drive, the play before, it's third down and nine. And Texas got the ball back with about 445 left in a tie football game. And my mind went back to the Alabama game where they just bled seven minutes and change off the clock. Now, they didn't score. They had a 10-point lead. They didn't need to score. But I'm thinking, all right, yeah, Texas, this offense has proven that they can kill a bunch of time off the clock and move the football and get into the scoring zone to the point where they can kick a field goal with no time on the clock. And they kind of start doing that, although they were going very, very fast, faster than I would have liked. They're snapping the ball with 25 to 30 seconds on the play clock. But they get into Oklahoma territory and they get a first down there's a sack huge bummer second down short pass to xavier worthy worthy gets tripped up if he doesn't get tripped up it looks like he's going to the house but he gets tripped up so it's third and nine and what does texas do trey what the, the coach who says all gas no breaks what does he do he runs the effing football literally playing for a field goal like not even trying if texas gets one more first down there They can bleed the clock all the way down to the end and set up for a game-winning field goal, and it's over. But instead, nah, let's go ahead and give the quarterback who's been torching our defense all day long another opportunity in the two-minute drill because we we must have forgot how bad our defense looked in the two-minute drill at the end of the second quarter. Let's go ahead and just settle for the three points, kick that, give Oklahoma the football again, and let them win the football game. I could not believe Quinn Ewers, with the rhythm that he was in, with how much faith Sark seemingly always has in Ewers, the fact that they ran it on that play, that is a chicken shit play call, and it cost Texas the game. So I think the reason why we saw him run right there is because he was initially planning on going for it on fourth down, but I I feel like he second-guessed himself. Like I think he was doing what we see a lot of coaches do in modern football and that's try and cut the down and distance in half for that fourth down play because remember oklahoma calls timeout after that and then uh they bring the offense back out on the field and i believe they call the timeout after that to bring the field goal unit back out after they weren't able to draw draw ou offside shame on sark for not trusting his gut like he was initially planning on things on that third down play. You should have trusted Quinn Ewers right there. Hell, give Jonathan Brooks the ball right there if you really want to. But unfortunately, there were a lot of Longhorn fans in that stadium and watching on television that didn't feel good about the defense's chances to make a stop on a very final drive for that Oklahoma offense because the Texas defense had been a sieve for far too much of the afternoon. And unfortunately, that proved to be true. It's a shame because you had faith in this defense coming into this game and even at times during the game itself 
the Texas defense would make a stop after the offense did something good. And it's like, all right, we're about, we're riding the ship right now. Here's the resilience that we've seen through the first half of the season. It's starting to show up once again, but unfortunately the uh, both the offense and defense failed at the wrong times throughout the game, but specifically in the second half in the fourth quarter that ultimately led to, to chances for Oklahoma to win the game. And they did, they capitalized on those opportunities. Yeah. I I, I hate to give Oklahoma credit BK. I really do. But Oklahoma made the plays that Texas did not on Saturday. And oh. that's why they won this freaking game. They deserve a ton of credit. And look, like yeah. Texas fans are saying, oh, we beat ourselves, we beat ourselves. Like Oklahoma missed out on some opportunities too now. It's not that it twisted. They dropped it. Should have been an easy touchdown at the end of the first half. Instead, they settled for three. Their kicker duffed a short one. Uh, they had a punt block. Uh, they dropped another long pass. Like look, Texas beat itself more than Oklahoma did. But, like, Oklahoma didn't play, like, a perfectly clean football game. They had some mistakes, too. The difference was, yeah, like you said, OU was able to capitalize on Texas's mishaps, and Texas was not able to capitalize on enough of Oklahoma's. And, man, that's just, I I think, a huge play of the game, Trey. I don't know if it was a fake injury, but before that first down, on that second-to-last drive, right, Texas is moving the football, and then the first down, you get the sack. The second down, the worthy play. The third down, they run it. The fourth down, you kick a field goal. Texas was moving the ball into OU territory. Once again, still going too fast for my liking, but I guess the up-tempo was working. But they were still snapping it with 25 to 30. It's like they were doing a two-minute drill instead of a five-minute drill, which is what they needed to do. But OU's defense had no answers. Texas gets that first down, and then I think it was Peyton Bowen, the five-star freshman, he gets hurt. Now, it was a big collision on the play before, so maybe he was actually hurt, but he goes down, there's a break in the action, and then all of a sudden, Texas's offensive momentum gets stopped. The next three plays, they don't get a first down, and they settle for a field goal. That was a huge, whether it was real, whether it was fake, it made a difference, I think, on that penultimate drive for Texas. I don't think Peyton Bowen was trying to take himself out of the game. He was really good in that one, by the way. So was Billy Bowman, too. Oh. The Bowe brothers, unfortunately, going to be a force to, to be reckoned with for a couple more years for Longhorn fans. But I, I remember watching that play in real time because my friend that I was at the game with suggested the same thing. When he got up after that collision, because you're right, it was a big collision. He was slow to get up, and it looked like something wasn't right. And he started to go back to the defensive huddle. And then you eventually saw him go go down. I truly believe that he was hurt right there. Yeah, it it Uh, worked out. For all those reasons, including the fact that he is one of the best players in that secondary. And you know he wouldn't want to come out in a situation like that. But more than that, BK, I'm with you. Why is this team, C. Sarkeesian, (laughs) it's one of his worst habits as a head coaching game manager. It is, he goes too slow at times at the ends of halves. We see it all the time at the end of the first half where they end up having to settle for field goals. And it's like, did you still get all three timeouts? You were making no effort to work with any sort of, uh, any sort of efficiency. Like you're running the ball on first and second down, allowing the clock continue to drain. And it's like, he went complete reversal in that situation where he was trying to get up the field too quickly when he really did. That needed to be the moment in time right there where they weren't operating with some sort of sense of urgency because there was so much time left on the clock. And unfortunately, he didn't. And here's the additional problem, BK, is that we've seen Steve Sarkeesian make some changes, look in the mirror and see things that he needs to do differently. So I don't know whether to read what he said at his presser a little bit ago as him just protecting himself, I guess, or maybe it's pride getting in the way of him understanding that he needed to do something different 
there. You was asked about the time management of the final Texas or the second to last Texas drive. And if you would have changed anything, given another chance, here's this quote. I would have handled it the exact same. I sure as shit hope that you would not have handled that drive the exact same, given another opportunity. Because yeah. if so, you are setting yourself, your team up to lose a game. And it's one thing when guys aren't executing because there was plenty of that going on, especially on that last offensive drive. And by the way, we haven't talked about Pete Kwiatkowski yet. He is not absolved of, uh, of any of the blame to go around with what happened on the Texas side on Saturday. But for Steve Sarkeesian to basically be that brash in the face of a clear mistake that he made is, is unfortunate. Again, you take these Monday pressers, what they're saying with a grain of salt, but if he's being serious right there, that's not a good omen for the next time this team is playing a close game where they need to be, they need him to be on top of his game on top of the execution that's expected out of the players too. Yeah. I did see that Sark said he would have changed up his play calling at the goal line, which at least he admitted to that, but that is discouraging. Well, here's Sark from Saturday. So what you said is the quote from earlier today, but Sark Saturday after the game was asked about his team's mindset on that offensive possession we've been talking about. Score, we were trying to make sure we had the last possession. Um, the second down call there, we had called an RPO, and uh, you know we were, we were blocking the run. Kuma's was getting ready to throw an RPO, and the guy came off and made the sack. So at that point, it put us in a third and long. Um, a third and long with like about a minute and something left. And I wanted to ensure we were in good field goal range because if I throw a pass there and it doesn't work out, now we're at a field goal range. And, you know, ultimately to get the lead and to try to win the game, that's what we're trying to do. So we ran the ball there on third down and we got to fourth and four. Uh, and then you got to make that decision. And to get a lead was what we tried to do. We tried to draw them off to see if that could keep us on the field. It didn't work. And then we kicked the field goal. So the, the mindset shifted on one play really you know i think the all along was we're going to finish the game with the ball in our possession um whether we score whether we kick a field goal whatever it looks like we were going to end the game with our possession we got a little off kilter there after second down uh, it was first down sark um but yeah no it's you can't it's you, like he's like the anti lebron james with how poorly he remembers something <laughs> that happened just 30 minutes ago you can't you can't be all gas no brakes guy and just tap the brakes in the biggest spot of the game against your biggest rival. Like I, I, I'm sorry, that was ass right there. That third and nine play call. Yes, a first down sack that can really hurt a drive. But you know what else hurts a drive when you don't even try to pick up a first down? That's what hurts the drive. Texas was not gonna get nine yards running the football on third and nine. It just wasn't going to happen. They literally said, and Sark said it right there. Well, you just wanted to play for a field goal there. You can't be all gas no brakes guy and tap the brakes in that moment. And it's just, once again, snapping the ball. Like, I get wanting to go up tempo. You don't want to let OU sub. That was working. But you can run up to the line really quickly and just let the play clock bleed a little bit. You don't have to snap it with 25 to 30 seconds left. You can let it bleed a little bit. And it's like Texas thought they had two minutes left instead of five minutes on that last drive. Or they thought that they were down 14 instead of actually tied to where they didn't need to go fast. It was just, ah, I was annoying, the weird tempo, and just to, to not trust viewers. I know he had three turnovers, okay? But he was 19 of 19 going into that drive, and then going into that third nine, he was 24 of 25. The one incompletion was the no PI call in Xavier Worthy that absolutely should have been called. Now, it didn't matter because Texas got a few first downs, whatever. But that was the only incompletion Quinn Ewers had had in, like, two quarters. And his head coach... 
who always, almost to a fault, backs up Quinn Ewers. Even when he plays like shit, he's like, now he's really good. He's not the problem. Everybody else is the problem. In that spot, even though Ewers was in the midst of one of the hottest stretches of his life, Sark is like, nah, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Ignore the last five or six plays where we've just picked apart the OU secondary in the passing game. Let's just go ahead and run the football here and trot out our kicker uh, with a minute and a half left and hope that's going to be enough. Scared money don't make none, Trey. That's the only quote I could think of after that. Scared money don't make none. Sarka was ultra-aggressive in the first half. He made some big-time calls in the first half. I won't ignore that. The fake punt, the Savion Red pass play on fourth down. Like He was in his bag in the first half, and I thought he was carrying the players because the players just didn't have the juice that they needed in the first half, which is amazing to me how that can happen against Oklahoma in the biggest game of the year. But in the second half, when the players needed their head coach to step up and do his thing like he did against Alabama, like he's done in every game this year, Sark withered, and he lost, and that sucks. He dropped his balls on the field in the first half, BK, and unfortunately he went micro-penis in the second half. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this because this wasn't the biggest or only reason why Texas lost, but the officiating was horseshit on Saturday, and it was horseshit in a way that was affecting Texas negatively more than it was affecting Oklahoma. Mm, Period. Yeah. It just was. I'm sorry, it was. Go back and watch that game and see how often the Oklahoma offensive line was getting away with holding calls on the Texas defensive line, which, granted, didn't play their best game necessarily, but there were several calls there. There was one blatant pass interference that needed to get called, and for some reason the ref decided to swallow his whistle on the Oklahoma defender. And there were a couple of other moments like that that were pretty freaking egregious. Yeah, it was annoying. Um, yeah, OU only having four penalties doesn't feel right. The fact that they didn't have an offensive holding called on them. I thought the receivers, Stoops especially, might have gotten away with a hold or two. Yep. Um, and yeah, yeah on, on the perimeter, that was ha- it happened yeah. a couple of times for sure. You're right about hey, that. They keep doing it. If they're not going to call it, why well, stop doing it? So I don't it, fault them. Yeah, it's annoying. Like I. I don't think I'm trying to think that the targeting or the late hit penalty called when Gabriel started to slide late. That was frustrating. Uh, that call happens all the time and it's annoying whenever it does happen. No. I think most of the calls they did make on Texas were for fair. I just like you said, I don't think they made enough calls on Oklahoma. They probably could have called another hold or two on Texas, too. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think OU played clean enough to only have four penalties for 30 yards or whatever it was like late they did. Uh, yeah, the refs weren't great, but like you said, that's that ain't the reason Texas lost this game on Saturday, despite what the obnoxious Texas fans behind me were clamoring about during the game on Saturday. Uh, Texas Texas lost, man. OU was better. They made enough winning plays. Texas crumbled when the moment got big, and it's frustrating, dude. It's frustrating. I said it during the pregame show, like, this is the best Texas team since 2009. And this Oklahoma team, they're very good. They're top five in the country right now. They're still year two of a little bit of a rebuild. And I don't say this to slight Oklahoma, but I don't think this is a top five OU team in the last 15 years. Like, I think the Baker Mayfield teams beat this OU team by two touchdowns. Yeah. And, and Texas's best team since 09 could not beat, I don't want to say an average OU team. They're obviously very good, but by their standards, I don't think it's the best. And that's like, look, maybe in two months, we can get revenge and we can laugh about this. But holy shit, that is demoralizing that our best team in almost 15 years could not win this game against Oklahoma. It's frustrating. It really is. You're right about that. And Dylan Gabriel's a gamer. I hope that 
Oklahoma fans appreciate him a little bit more. We talked to Tyler McComas last week, and he was laughing at how split OU fans are on Dylan Gabriel and just the skill that the guy brings to the table, but also how much of a gamer he is. Like, whatever questions about him, and I understand, he's not going to be Jalen Hurts, he's not going to be Kyler Murray, he's not going to be Baker Mayfield. He is a big reason why you are going to win any big game the rest of the year that you do. Dylan Gabriel is the best player on your team right now on either side of the ball. You should be thankful that you have that sort of talent at quarterback. But I need you to help me answer a question as far as the Dex's defense is concerned, BK, because it was a bizarre effort throughout the afternoon. What the hell happened to Jalen Ford? Oh, man. That was maybe the worst game that we've seen him play I can't say since he set foot on campus because I don't really remember him as a backup, but certainly since he became the starter, that is far and away the worst game that he played at Texas. And strangely, he was picked on when Oklahoma threw the football, which is an area that I thought he would actually be okay in. Yep, they attacked the linebackers and they attacked Jalen Ford. You're right, in coverage, he was a non-factor, and that was crazy to see. And I heard Zay talking about this in post-game with Kevin on Saturday. Like, all week long, everybody was talking about Danny Stutzman. Danny Stutzman, Danny Stutzman, Danny Stutzman. Playing at an All-American level. The guy is a freaking monster. And Zay's like, Jalen Ford should have taken that to heart and been like, to hell with Danny Stutzman. I'm the All-American here. I'm the preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Like, I'm better than that, dude. Y'all need to be talking about me, and I'm going to show everybody why I'm the best linebacker in this conference. That was Danny Stutzman, that weird-ass-looking dude. Well, Danny Stutzman was awesome on Saturday. Jalen Ford was terrible on Saturday. Missing tackles, false steps. I mean, the misdirection really, really got to him. And, yeah, the linebackers as a whole for Texas was bad. Now, David Benda's been an up-and-down player, so not the most shocking thing in the world that he had his struggles. But, yeah, for Jalen Ford, who also I thought was playing at an All-American caliber level through five games, for him to just get picked apart like he did, uh, unexpected unexpected yeah the the texas defense was bad as a whole and look ryan watts was missed man he was especially with his tackling they could not tackle jaleel farouk my god every time that guy caught it he made somebody miss a tackle ryan watts is physical he could tackle well for a corner him being out did not help either texas safeties got burned a couple of times uh it's just and the d-line got no push that was the the most shocking thing like and we said it man I think Texas's D-line got frustrated. I think this is why Dylan Gabriel ran the ball so well. Texas couldn't get a push, and they're like, shit, we have to do something to get pressure on the quarterback. Let's just ignore our lanes where we're supposed to be rushing, and let's just see if we can go all the way around the offensive tackles on OU and hit Dylan Gabriel from back, from the back. And uh, that sounds weird, but you know what I mean. And Dylan Gabriel's just like, oh, shit, you're going you're gonna to abandon all of that space and give me a 15-yard hold or run through? Okay. Thank you very much. Like, Texas had no discipline. No discipline rushing. They had it against Jalen Milrow. They had it against Jason Bean. They did not have it at all against Dylan Gabriel. Like, they just, the the edge rushers and the whole D-line as a whole, I think they got mad that they were losing up front as often as they were. And this is all credit to the OU offensive line, which I don't know if anybody, even OU fans, realized they were as good as they played on Saturday. Texas lost its discipline defensively and just gave DG way too many running lanes. And he's not the fastest dude in the world, but we said it. He is a smart runner, and that running was absolutely the difference in this football game. 
Yes, it was. And when Jalen Catalan went out, I thought that that would spell trouble for the Texas safeties. I do need to give credit, and I see CB doing the same thing here. Derek Williams played really well. Derek Williams allowed this coaching staff not to have to play Keaton Crawford too much. I saw Keaton Crawford out there at times, but a combination of Derek Williams, Jaron Thompson until he got hurt, I believe, and then uh, Michael Taff, I thought, held their own. Uh, in that secondary and, and at the very back there. Unfortunately, there was some miscommunication on that very last touchdown for Oklahoma that exposed a guy that Texas fans have been worried about at points during the season. And unfortunately, this is a sort of game where we saw maybe the worst of what we expected out of David Benda this year, and that is him being a li- liability when he's out there. Unfortunately, that was the case when OU ran the ball, and it was certainly the case whenever they threw it in the uh, direction of where the Texas linebackers were. Now, to David Benda's credit, he accepted blame for that that's last OU offensive play that was a touchdown, that there wasn't good communication there. And unfortunately, he didn't take the pass off, and his guy ended up wide open uh, on the side of the end zone there. But uh, credit to the Oklahoma offensive staff, Jeff Levy and company, for identifying potential holes in this Texas defense and attacking those things. Yeah, misdirection. Got to Texas. There's no yep. doubt. It got to Texas all day long. And, well, if you're relying on David Benda in coverage on the biggest play of the game, then then that, that might be a play-calling issue for Texas, huh? Why, why is he on a wide receiver? <laughs> yeah. Was it, no you're telling me Nick Brandy. Anderson was David Benda's responsibility? If that's yeah. the case, then what, what are we doing here? I got to tell you, I mean, look, nobody's perfect. Pete Wachowski has been a godsend for this program since he came in with Steve Sarkeesian a couple of off-seasons ago. That was a bad game for him. I don't know if it was his worst game necessarily, but when you consider the stakes that were on the line with that football game, it probably was. But uh, I expect Pete Kwiatkowski and the rest of this coaching staff, too, to recognize the mistakes that they made and make the necessary adjustments. Unfortunately, you're not going to face another good test maybe the rest of the regular season until you hopefully get back to that Big 12 championship game and have another opportunity to knock Oklahoma off again. I'll say fortunately. I don't want to play another good team. I'm cool with playing a bunch of cupcakes to try to get this stuff figured out. I I want to play another good team because I know Texas is capable of winning a game like that. They didn't. They didn't put their best foot forward against their rival, unfortunately. But I still believe that this football team can win games like that and will win games like that too. It's just unfortunate that... We don't have a ton of those opportunities left. Well, that was the mulligan, right? I mean, Texas can obviously still win the Big 12, and they can still make it to the college football playoff. They'll need a little bit of help from teams around the country, but I think they'll get that help over the last half of the season. But, like, Texas, you you can't lose another game. If you lose another game in the regular season, you might not make it to Arlington. Now, the Big 12 is so bad, you obviously might, but you might not. And then, obviously, if you're talking about the Final Four, you have another slip-up, then those dreams are dead. Is it possible if Oklahoma wins out in the regular season, Texas wins out, and then Texas wins the Big 12 championship game, that we see Texas and Oklahoma both make the college football playoff? No, it's not. Um, not going to happen. Who makes it in that scenario then? Texas does because okay. of the Alabama win. Like OU, wow. if that situation pops up, OU is going to get punished for playing nobody in the non-con. And they originally had Georgia on the schedule, but because of the SEC move, that game didn't happen, but no, in that spot, it's Texas. Texas would get in. I'm fairly certain. And look, Texas already has the blueprint for what they need to do. Oh, you did it in 2018. They lost to Texas. 
And they took care of their business. They got the rematch. They won that game. They made it to the college football playoff. That's what Texas has to do. And, man, I like – I don't mean to make it sound like I'm taking anything away from Oklahoma, but I feel like Texas can beat OU and will beat OU if they get another chance at them. And I have to imagine that's how OU fans were feeling after Dicker the Kicker's game winner in 2018. It's like, ah, shit, we're better than those guys. And we we let them get one. Let's just – let's get another opportunity at them because we're going to beat them when we do – Sure enough, unfortunately for Texas fans, they did. But that's the mindset for Texas now. It slipped up. It sucks. It hurts. You got to wear it. OU fans are talking their talk. They should talk their talk. They won. But uh, now we know what Texas has to do. They know what they have to do. Their goals are still all in front of them. They just got to make it happen. And uh, they got two weeks to get some things figured out, of course, with no game coming up on Saturday. All right, some love to some sponsors. Trey, our guy Tom McKay is a big fan of science. Are you a fan of science? Depends on the science. I don't believe in any of it. So let me know if you believe in this AV consultation science. Hi, this is Tom McKay with Audiovisual Consultations. Scientific data proves it. Size does matter. The bigger and wider your television is, the better. Football season is here, and the time is now to get your entire audio video experience tuned up and ready. New flat screens, projection video, Dolby True HD surround, all the goodies at great prices and followed up with great service. So call us at 255-8678. That's 255-8678 or on the web at avconsultations.com. Science seems pretty sound to me. Size matters, huh? It sure does. That's my wife tells me. That sucks. <laughs> Got to be disappointed then. I hate hearing that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm crying after things happen. And she's like, I'm sorry, but size matters. Yeah, sorry you're letting me down again. One of these days it'll grow. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Rabbi got the bigger half of mine. That's what I always say to anyone who uh, asks. That'll it'll eventually grow is what my mom used to always tell me too. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, gross. Why would you say that? Hey, <laughs> relax the back. It's, it's a commercial, Trey. Yes. Yeah. I uh was in Dallas this weekend which was fun, well, except for the game. And uh, I was fortunate because my buddy that I was staying with has a couple of really comfortable couches. And I actually asked him, I'm like, hey, where did you get these couches from? He got one from a, uh, a frou-frou furniture store, but the other one he actually got from Relax the Back. And it made so much sense because it was supportive to my sign. It was firm, but not too firm, had cushion in all the right places. So sure enough, he gets this piece of furniture from Relax the Back. Not at all shocked because this chair that I sit in each and every day, it is a relaxed the back chair. It is the most comfortable chair in my house. I have been a customer of relaxed the back going on 15 or so years. Started with gathering massage tools that I still use to this day. And now I have furniture from relaxed the back. I'm eventually going to get that stand up desk from relaxed the back as well. And I encourage you, if you are dealing with a back that occasionally or chronically gets sore, Try Relax the Back out for yourself. You can go to relaxtheback.com to see everything that they offer, those ailing backs, and also find the location nearest you at relaxtheback.com. Four inches is enough, according to Sun Tzu, the art of war. That Sun Tzu hung like a tic-tac from what they say. (laughs) I do remember reading about that in the textbooks. 
back in the can day. You, can you do one more live spot? Because my mouth is very parched right now. I have to go get water. I can do two live spots because I need to do Thanks. two live spots. Shout out to our friends at Covert Bee Cave. They hooked it up this weekend. They gave the Buck a Buick Enclave to drive to Dallas. They gave me a GMC Yukon Denali to drive to Dallas. And unfortunately, I've got to return that thing after this show. I don't want to give it back. That thing was beautiful. But hey, Covert Bee Cave, they take care of us. They'll take care of you as well. If you're looking for a new or pre-owned car, truck, or SUV, go out to Covert Bee Cave. They've got seven brands, three state-of-the-art dealerships nestled on 42 acres of Central Texas Hill Country. If size matters, how about that? 42 acres of cars, trucks, and SUVs on the lot out there at Covert Bee Cave. Great prices. They've got specials going on all year long. You don't have to wait for Labor Day or Truck Month or Shark Week or any of that shit to get a great deal. They've got it all the time at Covert Bee Cave, and uh, the service is second to none as well. Dan Covert, he's the man. I talked to him earlier today. Love that guy. Stacy, she's the best. Mike, the whole team over there, love the crew at Covert Bee Cave. They're family for us. They'll be family for you. If you're looking for a car, truck, or SUV, don't look any further than Covert Bee Cave or just check out the other Covert Auto dealerships all throughout Central Texas. They've got Covert Ford. They've got Covert Chevy. They've got Covert Lincoln. They're in Austin. They're in Hutto. They're all over the place. The Covert Auto Group, they've been around since 1909. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now. Not ever. And a quick shout-out to our friends at the Great blue heron furniture oh yeah oh yeah if you're looking for furniture don't go to the store don't go to amazon no if you're looking for furniture that's going to last for a long time and look great and feel great too look no further than greatblueheronfurniture.com you don't even have to remember the website if you're watching on youtube just click the link in the video description below it'll take you right to the texas sports unfiltered collection and this stuff is beautiful. You're not going to be able to find more stylish, more comfortable, more well-built furniture anywhere. In-store, online, it does not matter. Great Blue Heron Furniture, Longhorn-owned company. Most of their manufacturing is done in the state of Texas. The lead manufacturer is actually a great family friend of mine. They do amazing, amazing work. I'd, I'd go to war for these people, and this company is legit. I'm telling you, you won't find better furniture than at greatblueheronfurniture.com. Calm. All right, Trey, before we get to where we at in society, uh, a little bit of baseball. We'll save the NFL convo for tomorrow, but uh, the Texas. You, sh- you should want to save the NFL convo for tomorrow oh. so you can have a day to process that Cowboys loss. No, I'd like to save it for never, actually. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, really ever what happened in uh, the Bay Area last night. But hey, if you're a Dallas sports fan, at least you got some good news with the uh, Texas Rangers taking care of business in Baltimore, winning both road games in this best-of-five ALDS. Yesterday had some fireworks, 11-8 to the final score. The Orioles jumped out to a 2-0 lead in the bottom of the first. It's like, all right, well, at least the Rangers got the split. Today's not the day. And then the offense just wakes up the biggest blow. Mitch Garver, the grand slam. Rangers were up 9-2 at one point. They were able to hold on for dear life at the very end, and they find a way to win both games in baltimore they're up 2-0 they got three chances to win one which the rangers have been here before and unfortunately not done that before but you couldn't ask for a better weekend if you're a rangers fan trey 
Yeah, it's exciting, but I'm afraid to believe, BK. I don't want this team to break my heart one more time this year, so I'm just going to take each game as they come. Hmm. Texas wins in Arlington sometime over the next couple of days. Great. By the way, expect to hear a lot of Creed over the loudspeakers over these next uh, one to two home games because apparently Creed is what gets played in the locker room as pump-up music to help this team get ready to play and so this is something that was reported on, I believe, by Jared Sandler yesterday or the day before. And some folks mentioned that we better hear some creed over the loudspeakers at Globe Life if and when Texas is able to play another playoff game there because they haven't even played a playoff game in Arlington just yet this season, this uh, postseason. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be a strong possibility for tomorrow. What creed song do you want to hear? Let me think about this one. With arms I, wide open. Is that your go-to? No, not that one. Mm. Not that one. Can you take me higher? Possibility. Possibility. Hold on. Here we go. My sacrifice. What is my sacrifice? Uh... I don't know. I would play it, but you my my own prison. My own prison. Which one is that? (laughs) Hold on, let me think about how this one goes. I used to have that very first Creed album. It was decent, believe it or not. And then Scott Stapp completely went off the deep end. Yeah. Oh gosh. We need Scott Stapp flying into Globe Life Field like he did at uh, Old Texas Stadium on that Thanksgiving day back in the day. If the Rangers win this series and make it to the AL Championship Series, I'm going to try and get Scott Stapp on the show. <laughs> we should get Jared Sandler on the show if they do. I'll, I'll make sure that happens. Oh, I know the song. I know the song that we need to hear. What's this live for? That's the song. Sing it. What's this live for? What's this live for? What's his life? I don't. I don't think that he saying what's his life for over and over again. But that's the the first two lines of the chorus. Uh, it sounds like one of your favorites, huh? It's a fun song to mock. I used to play it all the time in mocking ways on the uh, old afternoon show that I produced. That's awesome. Well, the Astros lost yesterday. They won Game One. They were up five nothing. They held on for a six four win on Saturday, but. Uh, Carlos Correa, the Astro legend, just almost single-handedly beat the Astros last night in Houston. 6-2 to two, the final score. Correa, three hits, three RBIs, some spectacular defense. And uh, the Twins get the win to, to uh, split the games in Houston. And this series now shifts back to Minnesota for game three tomorrow. Well, this is just where the Astros want things. They wanted to win at least one game at home so that they could go sweep the two games in Minnesota. Yeah, they probably wish the series could have started up at Target Field instead of at Minute Maid. They've been so good away from home all season long, and Minute Maid has been a problem for them at times. It wasn't in game one, but it was in game two. So we'll see, man. I mean, we are combined three wins away from a Texas v texas alcs which would be freaking awesome and terrifying yeah. but uh we'll see if it happens rangers one one away from getting there the astros of course need two more all right in the home stretch nine minutes left in our program trey you want to go live read or do you want to go recorded spot for pest wranglers today 
Yeah, we can go live. Give me just a sec to get there. And I am there now. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. Not only a supporter of Texas Sports Unfiltered, but the sponsor of Where We At in Society. I got to tell you guys, have been uh, at a number of meals out over the last week or so, a couple times in Dallas, here in Austin too. I realize now that customer service, it's a lost art. Most people who work in customer service don't give a damn anymore. There are exceptions. And when you find those exceptions, you damn well better give them your business because you realize what good customer service means. The reason why I'm bringing this up right now is because pest wranglers, well, they are great at getting rid of those pests. They pride themselves on customer service because they care about people. Steve, who owns Pest Wranglers and has done so since going back to, what was it, 2006, I believe, he has always valued treating people right and fostering those good relationships. And that trickles down. His employees, they treat the customers the same way. It's why Pest Wranglers has so many five-star reviews on Google, Yelp, and more. Find out for yourself by going to pestwranglers.com and have them help you out with that pest problem. Where are we at in society today? Right, Pest Wranglers, the sponsor of Where Are We At in Society, as I just mentioned. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. And today, BK, where are we at in society goes to the vagina. That's right. I have a story from the Daily Star in the UK about five things that should never touch your vagina, according to science. Touch mine or touch someone else's? The general you, not yours in particular. Do you have a vagina? I do not. Oh, thank goodness. I wasn't sure. Well, that was about to be a completely different where we at in society. I was going to have to, uh, well, maybe you still can go Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs and tuck it and show us uh, what, what your vagina would look like. That's OnlyFans. You got to pay for that shit. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's probably get us kicked off of YouTube. <laughs> Five things that should never touch your vagina, according to the experts. We start at number five. Vodka tampons is exactly what it sounds like. Vodka is soaked into tampons. Tampons are shoved up in the vagina, which then is supposed to get the uh, the vagina owner inebriated. Oh, I wasn't sure if that was a cleaning thing or if that was a getting drunk thing. And it's a getting drunk thing. That's like the butt <laughs> chug, but the other way. Definitely don't do uh, rubbing alcohol tampons either. <laughs> You're trying to clean it out. Hold down on, there. that's that not on never- the list. We don't know that. That'll mess with the vaginal floor. Yeah, you mentioned the butt chugging. Maybe you can try. Perhaps this can be a uh, lost bet for you at some point where you have to soak a tampon in vodka and then shove it up your keister to see if it gets you drunk. Ah, all right. Now I'm good on that. I've never done the butt chug. I've always been intrigued by it. Never done it. Well, well there's you always you still have that chance. I think I do. What's next? Uh, Number two, the detoxing pearls. Well, like Jock Peterson's necklace? (laughs) (laughs) Last year, a vagina potpourri trend emerged with women using teabag-like balls to detox their wounds. But according to Embrace Pangea, 
an online shop that sells these balls. Vaginal pearls contain ancient herbs that are great for cleansing the uterus. But you shouldn't be convinced by these claims because health experts say vaginas simply don't need detoxing like that. Hmm. They need different detoxing. They don't need that version of it. Kills good bacteria, according to the scientists. Okay. All right. Number three, the vaginal tightening wand. (laughs) Is that something you buy at the gift shop at Disney World? Oh, I hope not. Vaginal tightening wands, sometimes known as Japanese vagina sticks, claim to make women, quote, feel tight and wanted again in just a half hour. The phallic object contains ancient herbs, more ancient herbs there, such as high-quality manjacani and pearl powder, which have been used by women in Asia, Arabia, and Persia for generations. According to gynecologist Dr. Jen Gunter, that's a quite a name for a gyno, uh, who advised against using the product on her blog. The stick works by drying out the vagina and tightening the opening. She warned, quote, practices that dry the vagina are known to increase the transmission of STDs. Oh. Never mind, make sex painful for the woman as well. Interesting. Okay. So you suggest rather than using a vaginal tightening wand to tighten the vagina to, uh, to try Kegel exercises instead. What was the... Synonym for the tightening wand, the Japanese what sticks? <laughs> the Japanese vagina stick. All right. I'm going to ask for those next time I'm getting sushi and see see what happens. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Very intrigued. Okay. I used some Japanese vagina sticks at dinner on Saturday night, I guess, if we're going to think about them like that. Mm, there you go. Yeah, I think I, I saved up for those at Dave & Buster's with all the tickets I got as a kid, but <laughs> they were out of them that day. I think those were uh, mini lightsabers that you were purchasing there. <laughs> ah, classic mix-up. Number four, wasp nests. What? Wasp nests. Well, yeah, I heard what you said, but What? Also known as oak galls, they're balls of bark and excretions of wasps. They host wasp larvae and are formed when a gal wasp penetrates an oak tree and deposits their larvae into a hole. That sounds all sorts wrong. (laughs) It makes the tree secrete acids, which create a ball with a hole where the baby wasp flies out of. Their selling point is that it can help tighten and clean the vagina, and they can also be eaten for women's health and well-being. But Dr. Jen said oak galls are bad news because they, once again, can dry up the vagina, which can lead to chafing during sex and make it easier to contract STIs and other infections. So women are putting, like, wasp jizz in, inside of them? Larva. Wasp larva. No, we need to get Jeff on for this last bit of conversation. I'm sure he's thrilled about this. Yeah, this is going to be a tough act to follow here, Jeff. Jeff, you know you know what I love about the timing of how you guys bring me into this is I have absolutely no idea what you guys are going to be talking about when I when I enter the, uh, the the chat here, as they say. And and man, does it absolutely never disappoint. Yeah, there, there's a reason why Zay and Chip, whenever they come on at one, they follow us at one. They're now they're now popping into the studio at about 101 or 102 most <laughs> days because they want to get as far away from this segment as possible. As yeah, does just, Zay right now, by the way. Oh. 
Is that just so that they don't have to uh, comment on, um, you know, what, whatever y'all were just talking about? I don't even know how to rehash whatever was just said. In oh, the last exactly. Five but sometimes they feel obligated. Like I got shipped to do a Mike Hunt joke the other day. It was one of my <laughs> proudest moments as a broadcaster. But we are talking, <laughs> we are talking, Jeff, about uh, according to science, five things that should never touch a vagina. And so we've gone through the first four. And so you get to be with us for number five. The fifth thing that should never touch a vagina, according to science, BK, guys named Brad. <laughs> Wait, it's my dad's name. <laughs> oh. I, wouldn't have, I, wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been born if he followed that rule. Well, look, women put wasp's nests up there and Japanese tightening sticks and uh, douching products and detox pearls and vodka tampons. So apparently guys named Brad find their way into vaginas sometimes too. Send me this article. I don't believe you. <laughs> hey, I'm Bradley, okay? If anyone wants to know, I'm Bradley. That's my full name, all right? So this, it doesn't apply to me. We're okay here. I think you just got to change your legal name to just BK now. There you go. Is that on the list? Oh, shit. That's number six, isn't it, Trey? No guys named <laughs> BK can be on there. So me and the Burger King King are screwed. <laughs> no, that's actually number seven. Uh, guys with the last name of Kellner is six. Oh, God. Sorry, it's the longest God. I've ever gone for a joke, but I'm, I'm sticking by it. Sorry about that, Dad. <laughs> all right we're, i'm done you guys aren't done good luck following that jeff trey and jeff parker from cbs austin coming up from one to three i'll be listening fellas good show bk see you, guys. See you bk